I think being powerful is just having the resources to make an impact. And I think like mm -hmm. that's what I really want to do with everything that I do in my life. I think when I try to podcast or, you know, create content for other people, I do want to make an impact to the community. That's Melissa Cho. I'm Kara Duffy, and this is the Powerful Ladies Podcast. Welcome to the Powerful Ladies Podcast. Thank you. The honor is all mine, Kara. <laughs> <laughs> Let's tell everyone your name, where you are in the world, and what you're up to. My name is Melissa. Um, I'm currently based in Los Angeles. I've been here for a little over two years. What I'm up to, that is a question that we can definitely unpack more during our conversation. But currently, I am a freelance editor for content creators for either YouTube videos or their vertical shorts. And I also run a podcast called Happy Hour. It's spelled H-A-A-P-I because I like to talk to cool API friends. And it's a great show to spotlight new talent, have those deeper discussions, not just about career and work ethic, but about mental health, failure, unhinged stories. It's been my pride and joy. And so I'm really glad that you found me actually through the pod, Kara. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I'm curious if this is how it is for you. Doing this podcast is this most selfish thing I do because I'm just like, ooh, I want to be friends with them. Ooh, I want to talk to them. Is that how you feel about the podcast as well? Like, is it giving you more than you could ever give to it? Yeah, I think I, it's funny that you brought that up because I recently changed my podcast Instagram's bio from a more professional bio to a more casual one where I say, I just want to hang out with new people, with new friends. And like, that really has been what I didn't initially seek out to do, but it's just enriched my life in so many ways. And I'm sure when you do your podcast too, it's like you've been able to meet these brilliant minds, these thought leaders um, from all different walks of life. And I can proudly say that the people I've had on the podcast, whether it be a potter, a florist, a tattoo artist from Denver, Colorado, who happened to be in Los Angeles, um, a photographer, uh, a, a holistic psychiatrist, um, even just like some best friends I bring mm -hmm. onto the podcast, like I can now proudly say that I'm friends with them. And it's just been a really smart way of fostering community, not just for me, but for mm -hmm. the people who tune in as well, which has been super uh, gratifying. I just didn't, mm -hmm. when I started this podcast actually two years ago, I had no idea where it was going to go. And I took a break from it for like a long time for two years. And I came back with it in May. And you just never know who's going to listen to the podcast. And that has been re a really fun feeling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How was it when you first started the podcast, like reaching out to people? Was that natural for you? Was it scary? Like how, how has your extrovertism been tapped into or expanded in this process? Yeah, it's definitely been an expansion, even though I am like a through and through an extrovert. But when it comes to sending a DM on social media, you always do get a little scared before, you know, send that message. And so for me, I started this podcast in May of 2021. It was like right when I was about to graduate college. And I kind of dabbled in the podcast space in college. I did a podcast for my thesis and it went really well. And that's how I started Happy Hour, just to like a brief kind of uh, explanation of how I started Happy Hour. And then 
I, what in terms of DMing people, I think because I have a news background, I uh, studied broadcast journalism, reaching out to guests, sourcing out guests has always been pretty uh, comfortable for me, I think. Um, pitching them, doing them, doing an elevator pitch, not being too wordy, but making sure that you grab their attention and that you um, convince them to be on the show or to be interviewed. Like I've always been used to that. So yeah, I think it's always been, um, to answer your question, like it's always, although sometimes it could be a little um, nerve wracking, it, it pre comes pretty um, natural to me. And I think the people that have, that I've reached out to and those who have said yes to come on the pod, I'm, I hope, and I think that they are just generally, they can see my passion and enthusiasm for the show. Mm -hmm. And They've seen my work. They've seen the stuff that I edit. And hopefully that encourages them to come on the show. And many great people have. You mentioned that you've been in L.A. for a couple of years. Um, where were you before and where did you grow up? Ooh, so I grew up in Asia most of my life before I came to college. I'm one of those international kids who have who I've gone to international schools my entire life and our entire life mission is to go to the States for college. Um, so I grew up in Taipei Success. and Shanghai. <laughs> yes. So yeah, I was here, but uh, I was um, my last year of college actually, because I was one of those COVID year students. Mm -hmm. It was my la my senior year was from 2020 to 2021. And for the summer before my final year of college begun, I still I still went back home to Taipei because at the time Taiwan had like zero COVID cases and like everyone was reporting like how Taiwan does it. And like meanwhile in the States, like there's so many like thousands and thousands and thousands of cases every day. And so I was like, OK, I'm going to go back for the summer. I'm going to stay there for two to three weeks and then I'll go back to Orange, where is uh, Orange County, where I was, uh, where I went to college. I'll just finish my schooling there. You know, I'll be in my dorm room doing the whole online thing, you know, whatever. I'm still mm -hmm. paying like $70,000, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, but then as I went back home, my parents were like, so do you really want to go back to Orange County? Do you really want to go to the States? Like, why, why can't you just stay here where there's like yeah. no COVID and you can be with us? And I have an older sister as well. And I thought about it and I was like, you know what? Like, I'm pretty much almost done with all of my credits. Like, I was taking a ton of credits in my previous semester so that I could just go part time and pay less mm -hmm. tuition. And so I was like, you know, I have like a few classes left. It's just only my theses classes. So sure. But then it turned out to be really, really, really difficult because like I was in a different time zone. So I was like taking classes from and interning from one to eight a.m., which was Honestly, looking back, probably definitely took a big toll on my physical health and my mental health as well. My first semester, I was like in the family study room, you know, logging into my two, four a.m. to my two a.m. or four a.m. classes and my and I didn't want to make a sound because my family was asleep. And so I would like whisper as I participate in the classes and my classmates could literally see the sun come up from behind me, which is so funny thinking about it. But I somehow did that for a whole year, graduated with my two majors, passed the flying colors, did my two theses. So that was exactly where I was before I came to LA. And mm -hmm. um, I came to LA in 2021 and I moved up here to LA with two of my college day ones and they're still my best friends. And 
we live together yeah. here and we have been here for over two years. Yeah, love it. Um, I, I've spent so much time in Asia mostly because of work and I, I want everyone to go and see it and yeah. taste it and all the things like there's so every city is Absolutely. so different even just taipei versus taichung and mm -hmm. it i just i don't know like i people like oh but it's it's a 15 hour flight and you're like just do it yeah <laughs> where where in asia did you go to and visit um i have been to china japan mongolia mm -hmm. cambodia vietnam taiwan hong kong I don't, uh, I haven't been to Korea yet. I've been to Thailand. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm trying wow. to remember like who, where I haven't been because I was lucky to get to go a lot for work and then I just kept adding on fun things for myself. Yeah, a globe trotter. Mm -hmm. I mean, I also agree that everyone needs to at least, not at least once in their life, go to Asia. I think when yeah. in college, a lot of people, when they study abroad, they want to go to Europe and Italy and France and London. But like, what about Asia? That's like where the action is happening. And <laughs> that's like where a lot of people go um, to work, to live there. And mm -hmm. it's just such a and there's just I'm obviously biased, too, because I've grown there. My I spent my entire childhood and adolescent years there. Um, but it truly shaped me. I think living mm -hmm. in Asia when I, 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 I always you know compare this, like when people and a lot of people take pride in growing up in New York City. But like, what about growing up in Asia? That's like such a big yeah. place. It's literally the biggest continent in the world. So, um, yeah, I mean, my formative years were spent there and it was just Shanghai is a really big city and it's really shaped the way that I act and the way that I, um, yeah, the way that I function too. And yeah. actually what's so exciting is that uh, four of my really close friends they're my best friends they are actually going to taiwan in january and so i go back every year in the winter so i'll be there all of january and they were like we should just go and so they're gonna be there for like uh two weeks and so i can't fun. wait i can't wait for them to go yeah no it'll be it'll be great i've had a lot of friends who have lived in hong kong or lived in shanghai so I never, I always thought like, oh, like I go for a little while and it's fine for work and being a tourist and then seeing what it was like for them to live there. I was like, oh, like I could totally live in these cities. And the dramatic difference from going to Shanghai in 2006 and then going back in maybe mm -hmm. 2016, like those 10 years, mm -hmm. it had changed so much. It had gotten so hip and trendy and fashionable. And I was like, yes. wow, like to watch a city transform in 10 years is pretty amazing. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you brought that up because I, my family moved to Shanghai in 2006, that actually that year. Oh, yeah. And it was because of my dad's job. So he was already working in Shanghai for, I believe almost a year and my sister, my mom and I, we were still in Taipei, still living in our grandparents' house. And my mom made, and my parents, they made the decision that they didn't want to separate. They didn't want a disjointed family. And so we mm -hmm. ended up um, like, it was, a, yeah, I remember at that point, like I wasn't seeing my dad a lot, but like, thank goodness we moved to Shanghai because, you know, we just have a closer family dynamic. And I got to live in this really spectacular city that has grown exponentially in the past 10 years, like you said. So mm -hmm. I moved there in 2006. And I remember the house that we were living at across our house. It was just this white, not white, green. Oh my gosh, am I colorblind? <laughs> There's this, literally this like 
huge, vast, grassy plain. No mm-hmm. development on it. There's literally nothing there. And then fast forward 10 years later, there's like high rise apartments like right across the street. There's like new freeways being built. And the thing with China, it's like when they want to develop, they do it so quickly. Something that America, mm-hmm. like I just don't see it happening. Yeah. Don't see it happening. Um, but also, it's just like, you know, different governmental systems where China says if they're going to do something, they are going to do something really quickly. And yeah, yeah it's grown. It's changed so much. And um I'm so glad looking back, I just feel like the older I get and I haven't gone back to China ever since 2019, Mm -hmm. but I would love to go back. It's it's a it's a fantastic place to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Did you enjoy going to the international schools or was it just like what you you didn't know any different? That was just what life was. That was what life was. I think my Mm -hmm. parents were they were just so smart like they're just so (laughs) they really are I mean just like they pour all of their resources into me and my older sister I have an older sister Mm -hmm. of two years um two years senior yeah and they have always wanted us to receive a global education because if you grow up in Taiwan like as I'm putting myself in the shoes of someone who's just grown up in Taiwan and has just gone to the local school the public schools there like that's a way of life, but mm-hmm. the island is also really small. And I feel like my parents really wanted me and my sister to just see the world and to expand our horizons. And also my my grandparents and my dad too, they also have a history of living in the Bay Area. And so they like are very much um uh they they know, you know, what's out there and they've like worked abroad and overseas mm-hmm. and they've traveled a lot. And so they wanted to pass that skill down to us as well so it was really the kind of education i knew i um i uh yeah i mean i've only been to international schools and i the thing about international school is that a lot of kids like me um if people can't if people like don't know like i'm asian so if they're not if only they're only listening to this (laughs) so this is the thing with the asian diaspora where a lot of international kids they go through a traditional American education system. And sometimes they lose a bit of that Asian-ness, even if they're living in Asia, because they're mm-hmm. so um, they're so uh, immersed in like a Western academic institution. But what I'm so thankful about, especially my schooling in Shanghai, is that from all the way from elementary to the end of middle school, my school, although it was like not well funded, but they it, they made it mandatory for us to learn Mandarin all the way till the end of middle school. And I think I thank that so much because I know a lot of my peers, a lot of friends or even those who like grow up in the States, go to a, an American school here or like international school kids who have been in a similar situation as me, they give up their Mandarin. And mm-hmm. I will argue that Mandarin is the most powerful language in the world. <laughs> like it's literally spoken by a third of the population in the world. And so I'm really glad that actually my international st- my international schooling in China still allowed me to retain my Mandarin skills. I, I will say that I'm not like, you know, I will say I'm not, my, my fluency is not going to be the same as someone who's gone to a local school for like 20 yeah. years of their life. But like, it is phenomenally, you know, much more advanced than 
I would say like an average international schooler. So mm-hmm. I remember like crying when I had to memorize a lot of these uh, Chinese traditional poems. And it's like, they make no sense at all. Like, it's like <laughs> if you take Shakespeare, I took Shakespeare for two years and it's like, you'd have to translate it and you have to memorize it. And you're like, and I, I would just like spark notes everything. But like with these traditional Mandarin poems, there's like such an elegant beauty to it. But as a kid, I was like, I have no idea what this means. And like, I remember I would just saw because not only do I have to memorize it, I also have to like write it down because we would get tested at, at, in class. And my parents, like every time when I had to memorize something, I would go down to their study room and like I would have and they would stand next to me, encouraging me. And and like my dad <laughs> would would try to like he'd just take time out of his work and he would um, uh, try to uh, he would try to um, explain what the he- what the heck I was reading. And by using these like imagery, he would like try to help me. And it's like they really were invested in me wanting to make sure that my Mandarin was like well kept. And so like mm-hmm. I think them for like putting up with me and also like um it's also like made my memorization skills better too because if you can memorize ch- ch- like ancient chinese poems like i think you're set for life but yeah i mean just like yeah i mean carrie you like bring up a lot of these core memories in my life that i'm so grateful that like i endured a lot of that torture because it's like made me a much more well-rounded global person and so i mm-hmm. i'm so privileged to be an international school student. And I think because of that, I've been able to meet other international school kids and like the school that I graduated from in Taipei, I ended up finishing my, um, I, my family ended up moving back to Taipei. So we finished, I finished school there. Um, so many of my classmates are in Los Angeles and mm-hmm. like, I have that, I have the community here and like, we're just everywhere. Like the, yeah. I was, uh, I was, um, interviewing someone for my podcast recently who was also an international student and she was like yeah the international students they kind of are just this own individual flavor and i'm like i totally get that so anyway super privileged um super lucky that i was able to get that experience i remember being uh, in hong kong and seeing a monocle i believe article the monocle magazine that was talking about how there's a new generation or a new population, they were calling it, of it was children who have either parents from two different countries and they live in a third country. It was like how all these kids are growing up with speaking different languages, living in multiple countries. And they were calling it something, I'm going to totally mess it up, but it was something along the lines of the global community or global Mm -hmm. generation, because there are so many... Majority of my friends, one is Swedish, one's English. They lived in Portland, Oregon, and now they're back in Sweden and their kids are speaking all these languages. They also speak French. Like there's just this view of whatever you want in the world you can have access to. Mm-hmm. And that works to a point. And then like for me, I get mad, but I'm like, oh, I used to live in Germany. And now I'm like, why can't I just have a visa to work there and live there again? Because I did it once. <laughs> like I was being sponsored by a company, but it's like, can I just come back? Like, do I have to leave after six months? Like why? And mm-hmm. there's this weird perspective on the world of like belonging everywhere, but then people are changing visa statuses or who like who has access. And you're like, aren't we getting over this? Like at what point can we kind of be wherever we feel like we fit? Oh, for sure. I think a lot of my peers, my friends kind of feel that way too, mm-hmm. where it's just because of remote work as well. Like yeah. traveling as much 
more, I don't want to say it's accessible, but it's much more of a possibility. And believe me, I have those thoughts where I was like, I just want to leave Los Angeles and go somewhere else because sometimes I am sick of driving around. I did not grow up driving. I grew up, I grew up taking the bus and the subway. So I have those thoughts as well. But maybe I'm not like at Germany. Sometimes I'm like, Maybe like if I go to the Bay Area, it's like I think yeah. my, my my field of thinking is also very narrow at times. It's kind of myopic, but I get to I get to I, mm-hmm. those those memories of traveling. I'm sure for you have been so memorable. Yeah, you just realize that I think there's a when I was there working, there were people from all around the world and we were it was when the one percent marches were happening. So like I moved there, I moved to Europe in 2008 and we were talking about how we were like, we're not, we weren't with the 1% in regards to money by any means, but we were the 0.001%. I think like you and maybe the other international students who don't think twice about working somewhere else or moving somewhere else or um, like exploring every place you live. Cause you're always a little bit like, yes, I belong here. And yes, I'm also a tourist. And like, mm-hmm. there's this weird dynamic. I think when, you know, you can just book a plane ticket and show up somewhere and figure it out. And especially in the US, I mean, the numbers of people who don't have passports, I find shocking on a regular basis because I guard mine with my life. (laughs) So, um, but so to to make a, a pivot in our conversation, how did you fall in love with content creation and media and journalism? Yeah, so I first fell in love with journalism. I don't think I fell in love. I think I just realized that maybe I was above average at doing it, but it really started for my love for the theater. I'm a very dramatic person, like not as a diva, but like as just being a, as in terms of personality and like uh, effusiveness. But I mean, yeah, a big shout out to the, my powerful lady in eighth grade, Miss Sway. She was my English teacher (laughs) And everyone like always talks about how strict she was, but I'm, she was like one of my favorite teachers back then. And she was, even though she was an English teacher, she like encouraged us to put up plays in the classroom. And this was back in Shanghai, at my international school in Shanghai. And like our performing arts department was not well-funded more of like, there was no performing arts department. And, and like, I, for me, have always had a love of performing, had a love of um, being a creative person, not being in like math and science, but she would print out these scripts and then um, have us play these roles. And I found them so fun and we would like perform them in class or one time we like put up this event where both the English track and the Chinese track sat in the audience and like saw Mm -hmm. our performance and like I remember I did um, a performance of uh, a, a Midsummer's Night, and uh, and it was so funny the how we like conceptualized it, and like people were like cackling in their seats, and it was like super scrappy production. We did not have proper lighting; we used flashlights. There, we did not have a proper curtain. We strung together our curtains, and yeah, like. And then once I transferred to that school in Taipei, they had. So such a well-funded performing arts department. I really immersed myself in drama and plays and musicals. I even got vocal coaching because I was just so passionate about like wanting to get this one part in the Adams family. And I got it because I worked hard for it. Um, but it was just so fun, my my performing arts experience. And 
my final year of of my senior year of high school, it was when I enrolled in our journalism class because I was like, I don't even know why I did it. It was an elective that sounded cool. I guess I did it. And mm-hmm. it, um, I guess, propelled me to realize that, oh, if I merge my love of the theater, my love of journalism together, that kind of is like the broadcast journalism. You kind of get a, ba- a, a baby, a hybrid baby. <laughs> also because my parents did not want me to become an actor. They were very clear on that. And so I was like, oh, got to pivot, got to pivot. Uh, I was very sad that they said that, but, you know, close, you know, closed door opens doors. So I ended up enrolling as a broadcast journalism and documentary major at Chapman University in Orange County. And um, I loved it. You know, I before going in, I honestly thought that I was just going to write and then report in front of a camera. That, that was literally my field of thinking. But I went into the film school. Like, I don't even know how I got in. Uh, I went in and <laughs> I, you have to do everything. You can't be a one trick pony. It's like you have to be uh, uh, you have to film, you have to edit, you have to produce. And like my first day, my first project, my friend, my my group mate told me to set up a tripod and I didn't know how to do it. I was like panicking. Like she turned her head around and I was like, what the fuck? Like, how do I do this? And then I think I did it. I forgot. But, you know, many years now, I can confidently say that I can do all of these skills, which is so important in content creation because sometimes it can mm-hmm. be a lonely job too. But yeah. at that time, I still was thinking that I would be an on-air talent. I would be an anchor. I don't know, because I my professors at school said that I had a, a shining career in journalism. I had a very strong camera presence. I enunciate very well. And, you know, I was able to report stories that were very interesting and timely. And um, and I was like, okay, okay, cool. But I realized that I just... It was not fun. It was not creative for me. And like, as I told you, I was grew up a very creative person. I think a lot of people in my major, a lot of them are flocking to digital content because it is a more creative industry. But I think I was like in junior year, I was like, oh, I don't I don't know if I want to be if I want to be covering hard news. And in junior year, I ended up taking an elective about um, uh, creating for web video. That class does not exist anymore, which I'm so sad for the students, but I'm so glad that it was offered when I took when I was there. But essentially, that class, we had to just produce our own web series, a pilot. It's a like a three episode web series. Mm-hmm. And I ended up doing this series about like a thrifting challenge because like we live in or I lived in Orange County, like antiques, thrifting, vintage, like that's the capital because like, oh, there's a big retirement community there. So you find a lot of like really nice gems there. And so the thrift stores were always like great places to hang out at. And I ended up doing this three episode series and the people in class loved it so much. And my editing got better, like pacing and just, it was one of my favorite classes that just allowed you to do whatever you wanted. Like literally no mm-hmm. strings attached, like just do whatever. And that really solidified my my passion that I wanted to, you know, do something in content creation. And which is so interesting. Like I recently went back to college a few weeks ago to attend an alumni panel. I was invited as alumni. I was like, I don't even know so what fancy. I'm doing in life. But like, <laughs> I, I put on a I put on a blazer just to trick everyone. But <laughs> but then I mean, it's so fascinating that the people who came up to me after the panel, all these students, they 
all want to work in digital content, which is so crazy. When I went to school, which I'm not a dinosaur, I'm literally 24 years old. Like, but when I was yeah. still at school, I mean, Apple TV wasn't even a thing. A lot of these streamers hadn't even come out yet. Um, and that was pre-COVID too, before there was just an explosion of content. And, and TikTok wasn't even a big thing at that time too. So everyone was still very much in cinema. And yeah. and I was never like a cinema person. Like YouTube has always been my go-to cinema. But yeah, I mean, like flash forward to now, like everyone really wants to work in content production because that is like where the game is at, which is there's a lot of competition, I will say, but um, it's really inspiring to see the switch mm -hmm. that, you know, this younger generation yeah. is making. That was and a long you... answer. I don't even know what you asked. <laughs> no, it was great. Um, so my questions now are like, are you doing content for yourself? Are you doing content for other people? If yes, who do you work with or want to work with? Yes. So I have been doing, it's a mix. It's a bit of a mix. Mm -hmm. So and I like, I think this is a great question to talk about too, because I feel like I'm going through a shift in life as well. So um, I've been doing, con mainly I was doing content for other people. So when I graduated, um, I, for some reason, ended up becoming a director at Jubilee Media, which for a lot of the millennial Gen Z uh, audiences, like they love Jubilee Media. It's like, the millennial Gen Z like content production company that people are like watching their videos, middle ground, um, or like their ranking series as well. Or so the for an old out. person like me, I'm not a boomer, but I'm like a geriatric <laughs> millennial. Like what? Um, what is what type of content is it? Is it all YouTube shows? Is it random influencers that get shows? Like what is it? Yeah. So it's a they produce their stuff on YouTube, so mm -hmm. YouTube content. And their mission is to provoke conversation with the shows that they create. And I was hired to produce a, a pilot for them, an original pilot. So I did a food show and um, that pilot ended up not getting aired. It just ended up not working out. And Pete, I mean, there's like a whole dramatic story behind it, but just like kind of summarize my content experience. Um, I was there so at that job. I was producing content for other people. And after that, I ended up going to Wired Magazine, which is under mm -hmm. Condé Nast Entertainment. I was an associate producer for their science, <laughs> yeah, for science and tech and mainly for their YouTube videos. And mm -hmm. so once again, another example of me producing content for another organization. Real and quick, then, when you were at Wired, mm -hmm. did you ever run into Lauren Good? She sounds so familiar. She's one of my college roommates. And really? She's like, yeah, she's this badass tech journalist uh, up in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. <gasps> okay, so yeah, so like the the editorial journalists are kind of separated from the mm -hmm. the uh, the video team. I know that so many but, of them are in the Bay Area. She's done podcasts and she's done some of their vlogs too. But yeah, yeah. Sure. Oh, perfect. Sorry. I've definitely I've probably seen like her name in an email chain or somewhere. But yeah, yeah I was. Um, on the video team. And then after that, in February, I got let go by Wired because they like to exploit their <laughs> contractors, which I was a full time contractor. And they're still unionizing after almost like almost a or maybe even over a year. I don't know. But wow. I was like, you know what? The chopping block came and I was like, I expected this. And, um, you know, it's time to move on. And since mm -hmm. then, I 
And like during those experiences, I have been on the side editing videos for content creators. Um, and that has always been something pretty steady. But it was mm-hmm. when I was let go in February that I was like, oh, God, like I have to make this a more full time capacity. So, I mean, yeah. I'm still in the works of trying to like get stable long term clients. And so um, I've mainly worked with people who do like lifestyle, beauty, wellness. Mm-hmm. Um, I just so- recently signed on like, my first ever guy client, which is actually really interesting. But he's also in like the lifestyle wellness space. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of these have been through like word of mouth, which is crazy. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, looking back, I think also one of the reasons why I decided to bring back happy hour is because I think I grew a bit too comfortable doing things for other people. Like I, yeah. I will always, and this is what I always say, like my biggest motto in life is to always like serve others and to always be of service to others. And, and that is essentially at every job, you're always doing a service for other people. But I was like, Melissa, I mean, you literally were trained to host. You could literally produce, edit, direct research. You're a creative person. And I think like I was having that lack of creative fulfillment and my yearning finally caught up to me where when I was let go in February, I think that gave me the time and space to just ask myself, Melissa, like, what do you want to do? And yeah, yeah, I'm good at editing videos for other people, but, and it's what I do. But I think with happy hour, it's honestly brought me so much joy because like I'm on my terms, I'm on my schedule. I mean, it's, it's entirely self-funded guys. Like I haven't, the show is not like freaking, Alex Cooper call her daddy like exclusive deal with Spotify <laughs> where she got like a $60 million exclusive deal but I don't know if there's $60 million I'm just throwing a number but it's, um, it's a ginormous amount of money mm-hmm. e- yeah exactly a lot of money and more money than I could ever fathom at this point but I I, I think I really would love to get more into personal content creation because like I literally am trained I was I literally went to school mm-hmm. for this and yeah that should not make me behind because I think sometimes I'm like, oh, I, I came in too late into the content creation space or like, oh, it's like there's so much competition and saturation of content out there. But I was like, Melissa, you really have those skills. Yeah. yeah. But I know it's been a mix, but hopefully yeah. I would love to transition more into personal stuff, which is like, oh my gosh, like a whole conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, so you're of course in the Powerful Ladies podcast. So mm-hmm. what is powerful and ladies what do those words mean to you and do their definitions change when they're next to each other Ooh, powerful ladies what do they mean like together and and do they like does powerful mean something separate when it's like on its own versus next to ladies does ladies mean something different what is your take on those Mm. words separately and together Mm. that's a good question I mean, how would I even define what being a powerful lady is like? I think um, I think in being powerful is uh, just having the resources to make an impact. And I think mm-hmm. like that's what I really want to do with everything that I do in my life. I think when I try to podcast or, you know, create content for other people, I do want to make an impact to the community. And I think that's a way being powerful. Also, I mean, it's like my take is that having the resources to also like serve others. And I think that's always been a big tenant in my life. So if you have the resources and you are powerful, you better like pass it on to the next person. Um, 
being a lady I'm literally like wearing my boxers right now. <laughs> like you are seeing a powerful lady um, right now. Um, but I feel like being a lady, it comes, I mean, there's like so many, you can interpret it in so many different ways. Like you can, it there, I don't know. It feels like it connotes a bit of elegance, but I feel like also being a lady is someone who um, articulates her thoughts really well. And I think that's something that I always strive to do. I think a lot of people tell me that I articulate, articul you see, I literally stumbled. Like, how am I articulating <laughs> thoughts? They're like, they, a lot of people say that I, I articulate my thoughts well. I'm like, really? I don't know. So I think, yeah, being a powerful lady is someone who um, speaks her mind in a very uh, methodical, graceful, compassionate way and is someone who um, is able to serve others in need. Yeah. Yeah. How I okay. <laughs> we also ask everybody where you put yourself on the powerful lady scale. So if zero is average everyday human and 10 is the most powerful lady you can imagine, where would you put yourself on that scale today and on an average day? I mean, I'm going to be honest. I feel like every day and even when I'm powerful, I'm a zero. I think I am a regular Jill, just like anyone else. And I think I understand, and I get it when people want to scale themselves up, up to a nine or a 10 or a 12. But I think how I interpret this is like, I'm just the same as you and mm -hmm. as everyone else. And we are all so uniquely, uniquely and wonderfully made that we're all able to make an impact. And I don't think anyone is better than the next person to you, the person next to you. But you know, I, I feel like with someone like me, I'm just like a regular Joe. I mean, I I mean, I'm a I'm a faith based person. It's like I feel like my life has like God has opened so many doors for me that I could have never imagined I could never have used with my own skills. And so I mm -hmm. feel like I just in life, like I'm just honestly a zero, but like with the help of a lot of people and mm -hmm. I'm just like grateful to have gone to the places that I've stayed at. And even when I was like, let go twice, actually, um, you know, I think it's just a, it's been a really powerful journey to where I got here because like, if it weren't for both Jubilee and actually Ward letting me go, um, I wouldn't have uh, had that yearning to do something that I love. And that's how happy hour came about. And mm -hmm. when I'm doing happy hour, I have no idea what I'm doing. That's why I keep saying I'm a zero on the scale. Like I have no clue what I'm doing. I'm really trying my best. But like, even with someone like me, who's like trying to figure life out, struggling, got into a car accident a month ago because I overworked oh, no. myself. I worked a part-time job. I was doing my freelance business. I was doing podcasting, which is like a full-time job essentially because there's a video mm -hmm. component now and I run the social media and do everything else. Um, like this stuff happens to both powerful and regular people. And yeah, um, I really like from that moment, just really thought to myself, it's like, Melissa, like really, um, it, it's just been a really transformative experience of the last like couple months. I just really would like to share to people and just to encourage people that like these doors will close stuff will happen things in your life will get dried up but for a reason and i truly believe that and like i have that hope that anyone can be a powerful person um yeah. 
if you give yourself that permission to and to just like really take that first step in the direction that you want to. And I think amazing things are going to happen when you say no to something. Like for me, I quit my part time job because I was like, I don't know what's going to happen after I quit, but I know that I have to do that. And I Mm -hmm. think because of that, I can start to see like the seeds that I've been sowing start to get harvested. And I think sometimes like um, being a powerful lady is like you also share that you're like, you know, just messing around, throwing stuff at the wall and see what sticks. And that's what I'm doing. But that makes me powerful because a lot of people have reached out to me and said that, like, you're really inspiring, which I would never thought I was that kind of person. So I'm a zero (laughs) and I'm very proud to be a zero. (laughs) I feel like I need to make shirts that say like team zero, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, team zero and proud. Um, Well, and I, you know, I think to your point of like throwing things at the wall, like there, I have a list of, I, one of my phrases that I've trademarked is a ridiculous and extraordinary life. And it's because I think that we have to like push ourselves as regular people to do the extraordinary things that pop into our head and also the ridiculous things that pop into our head. Cause yeah. the ridiculous component adds some fun and some like relaxed approach to it sometimes. And one of the things that has been on my to manifest list forever is, is like, I want to have lunch with Richard Branson or work for him or work on a project or host a workshop on his Island. And I never knew how that was going to happen. And then today one of the four podcasts I've done today, I met someone who personally knows him. <gasps> and just like Danny has been on my list. I'm like, Danny and I are going to be friends. I don't know how, but I know we are. Yeah. And then I'm like, you know, Danny. So in one day I have met two people who are one degree away from people who have been on my list for various degrees of time. And I didn't know that like, it, you don't know what's going to happen sometimes when you invite somebody to do something mm-hmm. or to reach out. So I think there is so much power in being like, this would be awesome. This would be fun. We'll figure this out later. And you keep doing what you can control now. And the things that you're meant to have will show up along the way. If you keep, if you keep doing what you know you're supposed to do and listening to your heart, if nothing else, like we, Mm -hmm. I think we try to logic our way through things too much. Oh yeah. I'm a logical person for sure. Yeah. And so, and, and that gets us really far, but it doesn't always get us to a place that unlocks us or unleashes us to be the biggest, brightest, most badass version of ourselves. Um, So yeah, I think good, you know, I'm proud of you for like just (laughs) doing the thing you know to do. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, isn't that just so silly? I feel like so people in Gen Z, um, they there's this whole trend about seas uh, of being in a season of being delusional or they like to <laughs> use the 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 word delulu which i i hate like i hear that word in my ear and i'm like oh my gosh like my whole like body just like spasms it, like it, i don't like the word <laughs> is it used like oh yeah like she's delulu like that? yeah yeah exactly oh and i feel like and, i need you to be my translator at this point <laughs> oh please i i, I uh, for sure <laughs> but everyone's like oh it's like i have to be delulu and like and I'm a very logical, realistic person. And I have friends who are like who are like delusional. Like, but I'm in a season where I'm like, dang, like, you are a visionary. Like, I think you are yes. onto something. And I'm like, I think I need to dream bigger as well. Because I've always been super methodical in life. I've always been like, I want like a salaried, comfortable position with benefits. And that has not happened to me in my life. And like lots of yeah. challenges have been thrown my way. Like, like I said, mm-hmm. like working so like just being up 20 hours doing my three different jobs and like um 
getting to my car accident and like also being diagnosed with PCOS and like struggling with that chronic illness. I'm like, I feel like a lot of these limitations, like these limitations, they seemingly could, you know, I could have them define me, but mm-hmm. also like just being delusional and knowing that these limitations are going to be a springboard for creativity and new possibilities. And like, I'm just so excited for that era to happen. And so like, yeah, I mean, when I got into my car accident and I was like, you know, I shared a post about, you know, what's been going on and people have been just like really resonating with that. And like people were sending me really kind messages and I realized that I just had to take a break. Like I had to like take my chill time seriously. And when I did that one day I was going out for like a sad girl walk. I receive an email from CBS studios and they're like, we heard about your podcast. We want to put this person on your radar to interview. And I was like, like, (laughs) Oh my God. I mean, it hasn't happened yet, guys. Like I don't like to review my plans, but like, that's just an example that I really want to share. Like sometimes when, when challenges happen, it's like those adverse, the adversity is going to turn to opportunity. I strongly believe in that. Mm -hmm. Well, but, but I think it's all those combination of things, right? Like our, Uh, When I get myself in trouble, it's because I stop having faith in myself, the plan I already set in motion, the seeds I've planted, the universe having my back, everything else spiritually that is on my team. Like there's like when I stop having faith that everything's going to be work out and part of my friend just be fucking awesome. If I remember that it changes things because Otherwise, it's me thinking I'm actually in charge of all of this stuff. And it's like, I'm in charge of maybe 10%. Like, mm-hmm. that's it. Mm-hmm. Everything else, I'm like, come on, we can do it. And I'm working so hard as, as you are to like make these other doors open, make these things happen. You're making new connections. You're taking the emails, but you're doing the work, but you're not, um, you're not removing yourself from what you know is the authentic thing that you should be doing and trying to tap into that like it's it's a really weird combination of like a personal like a trust fall with yourself like are you brave enough to make the leap and know that you can whatever you're going to land on you'll be fine yeah we will be fine (laughs) yeah i'm always i'm always um telling myself that as well advice i tell people and advice that i've been telling people who are listening it's advice that like i need to tell myself as well Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah we have two more questions to wrap up today's episode okay one is for everybody who wants to follow you support you be in your podcast listen to it send you all sorts of fun work where can they find and follow you Yes. So if you want to, I'm going to put happy hour first because it's my pride and joy, but you can follow happy hour on the Instagram. I am doing all sorts of reels and fun posts on there. So you get the exclusive if you follow happy hour, it's happy hour pod. So it's spelled H A A P I H O U R P O D. That's on Instagram. Please do not spell the name wrong. I have been screenshotting every single person who spells it as H A P P I and I'm making it into a real one day. So you have been <laughs> warned. And um, so that's the Instagram. If you want to follow my personal account, my Instagram is it's Cho Cho Train because my last name is Cho. So it's very punny, but it's I-T-S-C-H-O-C-H-O and then train, T-R-A-I-N. It's Cho Cho Train. And um, to support Happy Hour, if you have any guests, you can always send the podcast a DM. 
um, any cool API talent that you think are making moves in their industries, in um, the arts, STEM, uh, mental health, wellness, um, please send them my way. And that, and to support the podcast, listen to it. It's funny. And I spend so much time on it too. Like you'll love it. You'll love it. I guarantee it. <laughs> or else you get your money back. <laughs> <laughs> and the last question for today is what are, what's on your to-do list, to wish list, to manifest? Like, how can we help you? This is a weird, crazy community that has the randomest solutions to whatever you might want for fun or for business. So what do you want to ask the powerful ladies? Oh, ooh, you know, I'm in a season where I'm like telling myself it is okay to accept help. So this, the timing of this question could not have been better. I also feel like my bangs, like as I get hotter and hotter throughout the interview, it's just been parting <laughs> further and further throughout the interview. Um, so I don't have bangs anymore, even though I did them like before the interview. But there's also something where I don't like, I've always been like, oh, I don't want to reveal my goals. But sometimes if I need help, I also need to tell what I need yes. help on. So like I've been saying, happy hour has been something mm -hmm. I've been really working on. I really want to make it into a full time thing. I'm trying at this point to get like brand sponsorships within uh, within the wellness community, like wellness brands that I really want to work with um, other brands I'm open to as well. But one day I just really want to hopefully have a really um, good media company house happy hour so that I have all those in-house resources of like producers, researchers, editors, um, a studio space to film in and I film in my bedroom and, but like the, the growth has been tremendous from me just like, you know, going to my guests places, filming there, filming here. But yeah, I just think like, I really would love a collective of people helping happy hour and, all good ideas come from a collective of people. And mm -hmm. um, I do everything myself. And sometimes I find it hard to delegate work, but hopefully one day a media company will look at the pod. They're going to look at a trailer that I edit and they're going to be convinced that, wow, we would be foolish if we did not pick the show up. So anyone out there who, who hears this, listen to the pod and <laughs> let me know what you think. And let's make let's magic happen. Let's make magic happen. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, thank you so much for being a yes to me and to the powerful ladies and being a yes to yourself, honestly. Um, I know you're busy. And so thank you so much for your time today and sharing, yeah, your knowledge and your story and your wisdom. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Kara. All the links to connect with Melissa and the happy hour pod are in our show notes at thepowerfulladies.com. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening and leave us a rating and review. Join us on Instagram at Powerful Ladies. And if you're looking to connect directly with me, visit caraduffy.com or cara underscore Duffy on Instagram. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode and new amazing guest. Until then, I hope you're taking on being powerful in your life. Go be awesome and up to something you love.